Hi, friends, and welcome back to My Best Friend is a Therapist, a podcast all about relationships, identity, and being human. We are Sara and Nazneen, two systemic therapists, relationship advocates, and best friends. Since July is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, we wanted to do our first episode this month talking about mental health and the impacts within minority communities. Yes, we are so excited that July is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. I think Naz and I, coming into this month, we thought this is the perfect opportunity for us to really hold space to talk about some of our own experiences Mm -hmm. um, and also shed light onto Muslims. Yeah in terms of Mm -hmm. the mental health field. Um, And so to kind of do things a little bit differently this week, we were really excited to reach out to some of our therapist friends that we've made along the way. We have so many amazing therapists on our social media um, through Instagram that we've met. And we reached out to them and we sent a message asking if a Muslim client were to come to you in therapy, what what do you feel like would be important for you to know mm-hmm. uh, about serving this population? And we got so many questions back and we were blown away <laughs> because not only were they like extremely insightful, like well thought out questions that really came from a place of curiosity, but it was so humbling because so many of the therapists that reached out in response to us we're willing to admit that they've never worked with Muslims before or they have very little experience working with Muslims. And so they don't feel the most confident about working with this population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think their ability to just say that last piece right there, like I I have not worked with a Muslim before and I don't feel confident doing it. Mm-hmm. That piece is so important. Yeah, so humbling. So humbling, but also recognizing the willingness to grow mm-hmm. um, in competency. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, just in the last two months, I think we've all been trying to grow in terms of our cultural competency. Mm-hmm. I think we've realized as therapists that we have a lot left to, to learn. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. And we say we because us we're too. included. Us too. <laughs> we're minorities, but we don't know a lot about other minorities. Other minority Other groups. identities that people exactly. carry. So in an attempt to answer as many of the questions as we can... Without this being a six-hour episode. Mm, you know what? Better you sure? No, let's not do that. Um, <laughs> Naz and I have split things up into categories. Yeah. Um, and the first category that we want to speak to is stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think generally the overall question regarding stigma is what does Islam say about dealing with mental health issues and what are the barriers um, for Muslims to seek therapy? I almost felt like all the questions that we got that we put in this category were essentially asking, is there a stigma about mental health Mm -hmm. with Muslims? It was like, you guys were so cute about it. You're trying to be like (laughs) subtle and (laughs) tiptoe. We don't want to be offensive. And, (laughs) but yes, yeah, there is a lot of stigma Mm -hmm. just as there's a lot of stigma for other minority groups when it comes to mental health. Think about in the U S it's only been the last couple of years that people have really started to talk about mental health as something that's really important to acknowledge. I mean, we're just now seeing it in TV shows and in movies and all these things. But before this, we, 
I mean, when you when you watched a movie about someone who was mentally ill, they were like in a psych ward. Exactly. <laughs> so or laying on the, the therapy couch, just laying there, right? Exactly. Getting psychoanalyzed. And, uh, pumped of meds. I yeah. Mean, there was so much stigma in the US about it. So of course there's stigma about it in minority populations. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the Islamic communities, yes, there's a lot of stigma about it. And Naz and I kind of want to break break it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Talk about some of the specifics. Um, in regards to stigma? Yeah, so I think one piece to stigma is really about this sense of if there's some, if I'm experiencing something that's going wrong in my life, how do I seek help? Because seeking help within our community, asking for help is Mm -hmm. really hard. It's really hard for everybody. Yeah, I know for sure for everybody. But for yeah, but for Muslims, I think because you've received this religious message that mm-hmm. sounds something like, "If you're a good Muslim, mm-hmm. you'll be happy." Mm-hmm. I've been the told closer, that many times. <laughs> closer you are to God, the more you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Did you pray about it? Did you pray about it? Make your prayers. I mean, my dad is so funny. You'll be like, "I'm so hungry." You know, like how kids complain, they're starving to death. And my dad will be like, go pray. You won't be hungry anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the solution. It's the solution, the solution to everything. So if you're a Muslim yeah. and you're struggling with depression, mm-hmm. you must not be a good enough Muslim. Mm-hmm. And that might be part of the message that you've received or part of the message that you've now internalized. Mm-hmm. And so there might be some, yeah. some shame. Definitely. Walking into therapy because you, you're, you're essentially saying I'm here because I'm, I'm not a good enough Muslim. And I'm not saying that's the case for every Muslim going into therapy. But yeah. if you ever had parents who gave you that message of if you prayed more, you'd be a happy person, you might be internalizing that message. Mm-hmm. And it might be a, it might be even harder for you to get into therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other piece, too, is about – I'm going to use this word. I don't know if you'd agree with this word, but like fa- – like keeping it in the family, mm-hmm. keeping the problems in the family. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a really prevalent theme mm-hmm. for uh, Muslim communities mm-hmm. and families. And um, going out out of the family mm-hmm. often, it just, again, gets complicated because mm-hmm. now you're adding a new factor in. You're mm-hmm. going to seek therapy, professional help. What does professional help look like and and what are other people going to think about us going to therapy right I think if I reflect back on when my family first started going to therapy for the first time it was so important that my that my family found not not my family also my parents it was really Mm -hmm. important for my parents to find a Muslim therapist Mm -hmm. because for them part of the issues that were happening in the family to them, it was like everything could be solved if my kids were more religious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if we can mm-hmm. find ourselves a Muslim therapist who, you know, brings all this attention to Islam, then we'll fix the yeah. whole family. I think there was some misconception of that. Well, so I know you're speaking to your own experience with your family and therapy, mm-hmm. but I know in your master's program, you had disclosed to a Muslim client mm-hmm. that you were also Muslim and that right. didn't go the same way right that no was, yeah, he kind of checked me a yeah. little bit I had self-disclosed that I was Muslim mm-hmm. and I've shared the story with Naz because it was like the first time I ever worked with a Muslim and I was so excited about it. I was like I'm going to be able to validate this person I'm going to be able to understand their experience so well like yeah. it's going to be great I'm going to help this person so much because I understand them and then when I self-disclosed to him that I was Muslim and then I asked him does it help to know that I'm Muslim he was like not really mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um and that to me 
was a bit of a wake up call in that I don't need to be Muslim to help a Muslim client and a Muslim client doesn't need a Muslim therapist in order to get something out of therapy. And so when you were just speaking to, there's also this stigma about involving outsiders. I think that there's stigma about it, but specifically about involving non-Muslim mm, outsiders. Yeah. And that's yeah. what, that's what rang the bell for me in, my, in talking about my experience, because as we talk about stigma, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that stigma is a two way street. Yeah. And Muslims hold a lot of stigma about mental health and what going to therapy means. Mm. But on the other side of that is all the therapists out there who hold stigma about Muslims. Mm -hmm. And I am a Muslim and I hold stigma about Muslims. 100%. So yeah. I'm checking all you therapists out there who are listening. And ourselves. And ourselves that you probably hold stigma about Muslims. Mm -hmm. And I think throughout this episode, Naz and I are going to acknowledge that yeah. quite a bit. Because it's important to know where your biases are coming from. Mm -hmm. It's a huge part of co cultural competency. Yeah. Well, that so that's starting to segue us into our next category of mm -hmm. cultural norms. Mm -hmm. um, and since we got a ton of these particular questions um, and how they, you know, they do all relate to stigma. And so let's go question by question. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is, what are the common obstacles experienced by Muslim communities? First thing that pops into my mind automatically is identity crisis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Has your whole life not been an identity crisis? Yeah. Being a Muslim American. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so there's that whole piece of being American comes with its norms, and then being Muslim comes with their host of norms and their mm -hmm. rules and their expectations. And the two do not always fit together. Actually, rarely. Rarely. They're contradicting. <laughs> they are very contradicting. So... If I think back to being an adolescent, my experience growing up, I had a lot of resentment about being Muslim because being Muslim meant that I I wasn't allowed to do all the fun things that my friends were doing. Like wear short shorts. Like wear short shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even things like spend the night out of the house because mm. I was told like, you're a Muslim girl, you're not supposed to sleep outside the house, like you have to be home by a certain time. And yeah. It made me resent my religion because I was like, if I wasn't Muslim, I would be able to do all these normal things. I'd be a normal kid. I would fit in more. Yeah. And I think addressing that identity crisis that so many people might be experiencing, mm -hmm. being Muslim and being in America, might yeah. be experiencing is a huge part of that. Well, I think, so you're just talking specifically right now about adolescence, mm -hmm. but I think what you're also, what's coming out next maybe is mm -hmm. talking about identity within multiple family members mm -hmm. in the same family because you could have a multi-generational family which is very common for mm -hmm. muslims in america for sure right we just talked we just talked about how <laughs> none of our friends that we know that are muslim i don't think we know a single muslim friend who doesn't have at least one immigrant mm -hmm. parent yep right and so so bringing that in yeah <laughs> um, definitely yeah, so acknowledging that there's differences between parents who might be immigrants and their kids who are second-generation immigrants, I think, is another really big cultural piece to acknowledge when you're working with someone who's Muslim. So if you're working with someone who is an immigrant, for example, part of their experience is going to be things like grief and loss Yeah, because they're constantly grieving this homeland that they miss, but they also feel privilege to be here and be in America and that's yeah. a really complex experience in and of itself mm -hmm. um and 
if you're working with someone who's a second generation immigrant and maybe they're having a lot of conflict with their parents because their parents believe one thing and have one expectation of what they should be doing with their life and they're not meeting that expectation and there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. It's talking about those. That's what you meant by multi-generational families, right? Is that, or, you know, families who have some parents who are immigrants raising kids who are born and raised in the U.S. Like those are very, very different experiences. And so as family therapists, those of you that are working with family dynamics, addressing each person's individual experience within the family Mm -hmm. is going to be so much more important, I think, for a a Muslim family um, because there is so much complexity. Yeah. And you're now mixing religion with culture with, you you know, so. Yes. Okay, question two. Would it be beneficial to talk about the stereotypes within the culture with clients or just be aware of them and not bring them into the room? Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yes, Yes, bring them up. (laughs) Yes, please. Because if there are stereotypes about Muslims... From an outsider. From an outsider. Mm -hmm. Of course, the person that's an insider, the Muslim... Yeah is going to be impacted by those stereotypes. I mean, you just said yourself, you are a Muslim woman and you have stereotypes mm-hmm. for Muslim people. Exactly. Yeah. And the stereotypes that I've heard from both the Muslims and the non-Muslims has affected my perception of what it means for me to be Muslim. Definitely. So, yeah. and and that goes back into that identity piece that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So the more that you can bring in these stereotypes and the more that you can open up curiosity yeah. to explore them, the more you're going to give space for that person to acknowledge their identity yeah, within and I the think, context of who they are. I think when this person was asking this question, they were probably thinking specifically about one mm-hmm. stereotype, mm-hmm. If, you know, um, and, and, and that's the post 9-11 Mm-hmm. type of situation here mm-hmm. um which yeah you know we need to address that with yeah. clients that's a huge piece for any muslim's identity living in america mm-hmm. whether you were born before mm-hmm. 2001 or after yeah um yeah we have this amazing faculty member she's the director of our doctoral program and she often talks about how if you are a therapist providing services to a Muslim in the United States and you do not ask them about how 9-11 has affected them, you're not doing them, you're not doing them justice, right? You're disservicing. You're disservicing them because 9-11 has affected every single Muslim that lives in the United States. Mm -hmm. Because when that happened, tons of stereotypes became, it was a ripple effect after 9-11 happened. And so I think that as a therapist, yes, it's okay to, to do it very humbly yeah. and with humility of, I've heard these things about Muslims. Has this been your experience or is this totally outlandish? And yeah. if it is, how has that been for you yeah. to be plastered with all these stereotypes, right? Like either way, there's a way to do it, yeah. to acknowledge stereotypes in the room with, with a Muslim client. Mm-hmm. And again, all you're doing I know the question asked, you know, is it beneficial, right? So on the opposite side, is it offensive to bring it up? No. Mm-hmm. No. No, absolutely not. All you're doing is creating space, again, to understand this client's experience mm-hmm. with one of their many identities. Exactly. Okay, next question. Is it appropriate for Muslims to get therapy? 
or <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I I feel like this is kind of a silly question. Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate for Christians to get therapy? Is it appropriate for Jewish people to get therapy? Is it appropriate for men, black people? I mean, fill in the blank here, right? Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate for anybody to get therapy? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. you can. You know what I mean? It doesn't. And I know where this is coming from because it's that traditional view of like, okay, the religion says you can't do it, mm-hmm. but nowhere, <laughs> nowhere in the Quran does it say you mm-hmm. you cannot go to therapy. No, <laughs> no. And I I get why you're laughing here because it is. It's like you said, like anybody can go to therapy. Um, therapy doesn't discriminate against a religion, but I, I will say the piece that comes up for me that I try to be mindful of is that religion, like I said earlier, when we, when we started this episode is that oftentimes we've maybe received this message that says, if you just pray more, if you're more religious, Mm -hmm. if you're closer to God, you should be happy. Mm -hmm. So if you're not happy, you might be internalizing, I must just not be yeah. a good Muslim. Um, and there might be a, a piece of shame there. When I was, I was working, um, at a, at a private clinic and I was serving Somali refugees. And when I was working with this particular population, they had shared with me that it was so hard because they knew that they were suffering from PTSD. Like, how could they not? I mean, these are people who witnessed horrific, horrific things happen to their loved ones while living in refugee camps. And so, of course, they are suffering from tons of post-traumatic stress due to trauma. Um, But when they would talk about it, it was like, I can't even get out of bed and pray my morning prayers because I had so many nightmares the night before. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was such an experience of shame for them. Yeah. Like, why can't I get out of bed to pray? Because if I could get out of bed and pray in the mornings, I wouldn't have post-traumatic stress disorder. Maybe if I had prayed my my prayers last night, I wouldn't have had nightmares, mm-hmm. right? It was like such an experience of shame for them yeah. that if they were better Muslims, they wouldn't be suffering from mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I think normalizing that experience for people and yeah. saying, no. Well, I, I like what you said earlier. It's mental illness does not discriminate. Mm-hmm. Therapy doesn't discriminate yeah. against religion. Yeah. And so letting your Muslim clients know that and normalizing that experience for them and talking about that shame that they might experience is so important, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, next question. As a female therapist, if I'm sitting with a Muslim man in therapy, do I need to reduce eye contact as a sign of respect? Depends. Mm. Yeah. I would ask. I would would ask. Yeah. yeah. I would ask just directly, is this eye contact appropriate? Is it comfortable for you? Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable with the space that's between us? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I was working with a a client who experienced trauma. We were working through trauma. And he, in one session, asked me if I could sit on the couch next to him instead of in a chair across from him. And when we processed that a little bit more, he explained to me that as someone who's experienced trauma for him to talk so vulnerably about experiences that made him feel like he had no power at all Mm -hmm. to go into therapy and have me sitting across from him in a chair. And that kind of 
just resemble a sense of I'm in control in this room and I've got the power felt uncomfortable for him. It didn't make him feel safe talking about his vulnerable experiences. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time and the only time I've ever had a client say that to me when we're doing trauma work. And so what that tells me is that every client is different. Every client has different needs. If you're a Muslim man and you've got a female therapist, you may or may not feel comfortable with eye contact. But ask. ask. Inquire about it. Yeah. Okay. Next question. I know that drinking is not allowed in Islam. What do I do when I have a Muslim client who is in substance recovery? (laughs) This is another interesting question. Um, yeah, because there's a lot of irony to it. Yeah. Right. Now it's like the 12 steps are so heavily rooted in Christianity, which I think is a really mm-hmm. big criticism um, in that it it really is geared towards people who practice from the from a Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they talk about it in the sense of a higher power, mm-hmm. um, which I think is still a value for a Muslim client mm-hmm. in recovery. Definitely. Um I think the difference in working with a Muslim who might be going through recovery is that there's this dynamic that's added um, because you're right, in Islam, it is against the religion to use substances. And so if you've done that, Mm -hmm. you might be facing a lot more complexities maybe in that experience. It's a little bit different than someone else. Yeah, so shame and guilt. Isolation from your family. Exactly. You might have gotten cut off from your family Mm -hmm. because your family is like, you shouldn't have drank. Muslims don't do that. If you're not a Muslim, you're not a part of this family. Like, you might be going through that. And we know that social support is a huge, huge piece in sustaining recovery and sobriety. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think creating space for Muslims to talk about some of those additional experiences that they might be going through is really important. And for them, what does it mean also to be an addict and be a Muslim? Mm. Because I think that's really complex. That's a really great question. Mm -hmm. Because you essentially, part of your identity now is the middle finger to the other Mm -hmm. part of your identity. Yeah. And... That, I imagine, is really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, next question. Do you have advice about how to be sensitive with women clients who are looking to date within the Muslim community, but also feel a strong sense of independence that may contradict some of the traditional values of the religion? And as I'm, I'm reading that, I think this is another question that is actually rooted in a stereotypical lens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I almost want to re-ask this question. I want to ask, can you be the CEO of a company hmm. as a woman and also be a mom? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's important to remember, like you said, Naz, those, those gendered stereotypes when it comes to Muslims. Yeah. Um, in that if a, a Muslim woman really appreciates her independence but Mm -hmm. she wants to date muslim men don't just assume that every muslim man out there is going to suppress her yeah that's such a stereotype yeah um and if those are her experiences if she's dated muslim men who have told her that her career doesn't matter or whatever help her process some of that Mm -hmm. 
because she might have an expectation from her parents or her family or from herself that she has to date within this community and within her religion. And if that's every experience that she's having, that every guy that she dates is someone who tells her that her independence is not valued, that's probably a really hard experience for her. Mm-hmm in terms of dating like I would help her process that a little bit that's exactly I was just gonna say use the word the p word so I think with this particular question I don't think it's about the content of what the experience is it Mm -hmm. really is about the process for this person Mm -hmm. so whether or not she is a strong independent woman who don't need no man and she's (laughs) she's dating and she's finding men who are very traditional and she Mm -hmm. and it's contradicting some stuff Mm -hmm. no matter all that Mm-hmm. It's about the process of talking about the experience for her. For sure. Um, yeah. So again, staying curious. Yeah. And not boxing in based on stereotypes. Yeah. Okay, next question. Is it offensive if I ask a Muslim client about their sexual activity <laughs> since premarital <laughs> sex is prohibited? I'm laughing because this is the first time we're talking about sex and I know all my, you know, my family who's listening are like, don't say the S word. <laughs> I'm sweating because <laughs> our answer, <laughs> I mean, people do it. Yeah. People have sex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people do have sex. Not just Muslims. <laughs> no. Everybody has sex. And I think that, and even if you're not having sex, you're thinking about sex. You've thought about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are having sex. Yeah. <laughs> sex is a part of life. Yeah. And when you're working with a Muslim client and you don't acknowledge that, it almost like furthers this message of you're Muslim, so you shouldn't be having sex. And if you've done it, then shame on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I say, ask about it. Yeah, for sure. Ask about it. I mean, talk about what it. is the harm in asking from a curious stance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no matter the answer, you're getting a lived experience for this person mm-hmm. and you're now creating space to validate and say that experience is okay Mm -hmm. no matter what it is yeah and maybe you're working the other thing that's coming to mind for me is that maybe you're working with someone who's very traditional grew up with very traditional muslim parents and they're you know in their early 20s and they're in their first serious relationship and now sex is kind of they can't avoid it yeah because it's part of relationships what are they feeling Mm -hmm. towards Towards sex. Are they really anxious about it? Are they feeling a lot of shame about it? Because they want to have sex, but they've been told that they can't and they shouldn't. And, you know, there's there's a lot of complexities to it. So making space for that unique experience when it comes to sex, I think, would be super important. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of concludes our cultural norms portion. Um, The next set of questions we got was really bracketed into this category of the intersections of a Muslim identity and an LGBTQ plus identity. Mm -hmm. Um, So sorry, I don't know if you want to read some of these questions. I know there was two main questions we wanted to target. Yeah. So the first one was just a general one. How might a therapist navigate working with a gay Muslim client? And the other one was when working with a Muslim client who has admitted in therapy that they are gay. Do I, as a therapist, help him move towards coming out, or do I support mm. their devo- their devotion to religion and cultural rules? Mm-hmm. And I think, essentially, what comes to mind here is identity is multifaceted. 
And if you're working with a client who's admitted to being gay, um, but identifies as Muslim, now you're dealing with two identities that are really contradictive of one another. And it's not yeah. just Muslim. It's in most other religions, right? Yeah. Just very recently, religion started opening up mm-hmm. towards LGBTQ plus populations. And so we're talking about intersections now. And when you're working with a client that is experiencing intersections in their identity, the solution is not to shame one part of the identity mm-hmm. to help promote the other part of the identity. You no. create space for the entire identity to exist. Exactly. And feel yeah. safe and feel valued. The intersection. At the intersection. Yeah. Because if I was Muslim and I was working with a therapist and I said, I'm gay, but I also really want to be a Muslim. And you told me, okay, then don't be gay. I would be like, what in the hell? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And vice versa. If you told me you want to be gay, then then you can't be Muslim. And your religion is just going to always make you feel bad about being gay. And if you want to be happy and you want to be gay, then you got to give up Islam. I would be like, Mm -hmm. what? Yeah. That wouldn't feel good for me either. So it would be all about helping me process the two identities and what what I can do to accept both yeah. parts of my identity because both are meaningful for me. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, so when we were prepping for these and we chose these two questions to read, you had mentioned that this particular um, question reminded you of the three-legged three-legged analogy, the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you could quickly speak to that, you know, balancing between who you are as a person and then wanting to stay connected to the people around you. Yeah. I think these identities. I think that it's almost like a three-legged race between being gay and being Muslim. Mm. And a third leg is your identity. Mm-hmm. And it's for a therapist, it's important to help find that balance. Yeah. And it's not so much, and, and maybe it is, maybe there is this other third-legged race that's be, that's happening and that you're in the process of running and that's you being gay and being Muslim and still wanting to be connected and accepted by your Muslim family. Mm-hmm. And again, that third-legged race is figuring, that, that third leg in that race is trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And that's a really complicated experience. Yeah, definitely. But but coming again from a place of curiosity and, and validating that this experience is theirs. Mm-hmm creating space for it to exist with you in the room. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So to kind of conclude, this was the last category that we came up with um, based on the questions that we received, and it's pertaining to couples. Um, So one of the questions that we got was, what are some of the gender roles and gender norms among Muslims, either in heterosexual? I'm assuming this is about heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, again, feel like there's a gendered stereotype in the question Mm -hmm. that, and I'm not denying that for some traditional Muslim families and couples, gender stereotypes may be true, Mm -hmm. um, but they're not the norm for every single family, right? I know your, your family is extra unique because you have a mom and a dad from different races Mm -hmm. yeah there was another um another question that we received from one of our our instagram friends and therapists and she asked how do i work with a a muslim couple where one partner is muslim and the Mm -hmm. other partner is non-muslim well both my parents are muslim my mom was born and raised christian but she converted to islam when she was 20 so she was already muslim before my my dad and her ever met 
Um, but that doesn't mean that her entire upbringing, 20 yeah. years of being Christian, just like went out the door. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when you're looking at couples and you're dealing with marital conflict or relationship conflict, it's important to, again, to kind of separate. We go going back to the three-legged race analogy is that the healthiest relationships are those that, that have that balance factor between self and connection to others. Yeah. And when you're working within couples, it's important to help people kind of figure out what they need and what their partner needs and where their individual needs are. And also then how to meet each other's needs. Yeah. And and, I, and as you're talking, you're not saying specifically working with Muslim couples that this no. is the approach. This is working with any couples. Mm-hmm. Because gender roles and norms will exist among all couples. Right. Um, yeah. So. Definitely. Just the very last thing that you just said. Okay. I mean, you just, you just acknowledge that in... So much of what I've been saying, and I know so much of what you have been saying, is that this is not specific to Muslims. Like, I know when we started out this episode, we were like, we want to shed light and promote awareness about this particular culture. And the whole time, we've essentially been saying Muslims are no different. Yeah. And yeah, there are unique experiences of being Muslim. I think you and I shared some of those when we talked about identity and identity crisis and all these other pieces and substance abuse and being Muslim and being an addict, right? Like there is uniqueness to this particular population and things that we should acknowledge. But the underlining message I think is that this is not an alien population. No. <laughs> <laughs> like we're just a population of people that have a unique host of experiences just like anyone else. That might be rooted in our culture or in our religion, but it doesn't exclude us from all of the other norms out there. A couple that's having conflict, just because they're Muslim, shouldn't, there's not a separate handbook that you as a therapist need to read in order to be competent working Mm -hmm. with those people. And the reason I want to say that too is because I noticed just in reading through the questions that we got, I got a sense of the therapist's anxiety and like Mm -hmm. caution and how do I word this like we even had a couple of you guys it was so cute that like Mm -hmm. in the message to us was like I don't want to be offensive and I'm like that is so sweet Mm -hmm. but you don't have like we're not eggshells yeah and I want to say that not to like embarrass anybody no because it is uncomfortable when you're asking questions that might sound ignorant about a population that you don't know much about but do you realize that Naz and I were sitting and we're reading these questions and we're like, oh my God, that's such a good question. That was so insightful because it's exciting to have people ask rather exactly. than assume. Imagine what that experience is like for a client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. I would be humbled <laughs> wow. as a client if my therapist was asking questions out of curiosity. And so I don't want anybody out there feeling like they can't ask. Because there's things that you're not going to know. And there's things that, as much as Naz and I tried to kind of cover all these categories, there's things that we didn't cover today. Oh, yeah. And even the, the, the pieces that we did cover don't speak to the majority population. They don't, it doesn't speak to all of the people that have different unique experiences. Yeah. Because every single Muslim that I know has had a unique experience. So you just have to ask. You just have to be curious and not be afraid. Yeah. 
I think that's a great place to end. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's end there. Um, I think the last thing we'll say is really, again, what I said at the beginning, like we don't want this just to be one conversation. Mm -hmm. We want it to be a ripple effect. Um, So to continue this ripple with us, please, please, please join us on Instagram, DM us, comment, get some conversation started about these ideas we talked about today. Yeah. Um, If there's something that we said that didn't sit well with you, like, mm have a conversation with us. We are so open for dialogue. That's how we learn. And maybe we shared something that another Muslim therapist out there is listening to, or maybe you're a non-Muslim therapist and you disagree with something that we shared today. Um, Please reach out. Let's talk about it. I would love to learn more. Definitely. So we appreciate you guys and your curiosity Mm -hmm. and your ability to humble yourselves and to be part of this conversation. We just really appreciate you. Yeah. We'll talk soon, you guys. Bye, friends. Bye.